Wow, thank you, Paul. So good to see all of you this morning. Um, we are closing down our, our time, our brief time, four weeks now in Acts on what the church, th- today is on what the church should look like. And in fact, on, it's a window, in, it's our first window into, <clears throat> the churches had been around for as long as God had had a people, but the New Testament church filled with the Spirit of God um, after Peter preaches, as, we, as Paul just read, 3,000 are saved. This is our first window. Acts is the only book in the Bible that, that is a window into what was the church doing. It's, it's exclusively devoted to that. The epistles address the letters that follow and complete the New Testament address um, things that Paul and others were writing to, problems in the church, things about the Lord, things about our salvation and Christology and, and salvation and so on and so forth. But this is a window into what was the church doing. And this right here is our first window, these few verses, seven verses, into what was it doing day by day? What did it look like? And I want to say that what it looked like is what we ought to look like. It's not just um, descriptive. Some people say it's just descriptive. It's just what happened then. It's not for us today. My, I want to make the case briefly that it's prescriptive. It's the church then uh, is, for, is for the church now because the church then was what Jesus, as we talked about for three weeks now, is what Jesus ascended on high in power through his spirit um, was empowering his body to do and to teach. Just as he had done and taught on the earth, he's now in heaven, and he's continuing his work of doing and of teaching the presence of God for our salvation uh, through his body, the church. So what are they, what are they doing here in this first window? Um, so the first thing I want to say, I just kind of skip. There's a lot that I, I don't talk about. This isn't an exhaustive un- uncovering and unpacking, but I just want to skip over five things uh, briefly. The first thing we see is they were a devoted church. Um, they do, it says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they devoted themselves to, that, that word can mean, it means to stick by or to stick close at hand, to attach oneself to. So it's the opposite of sort of cold or casual acquaintance. What, what were they devoted to? What were they sticking close to? What were they attaching themselves to? Um, they were devoted to, it also means to persevere in. So in verse 46, you see day by day and week by week, they were doing these things. Um, so what are they? Well, it says the teaching, and that's of the apostles, which later became uh, the scriptures. And so they were devoted to, in our case, the scriptures and to sitting under the teaching of those that have the gift of teaching. And what are they teaching? They're teaching the scriptures. They're unfolding the scriptures that we might receive light and the very presence of the living God. Um, In the ESV, it doesn't say this, but it's to the fellowship, and it's to the breaking of the bread. So the fellowship of believers, not just hanging out and having some fellowship, but it's to the fellowship, the community that's being created by Jesus through his spirit, this new people. They're devoted to that fellowship. That becomes their, their thing that they're attached to and doing day by day. And then it says to the breaking of the bread, which is probably communion. It's not just that they're eating. They are eating. We see that later in the text that... Um, that Paul read, they were just sharing food in their homes. Does that remind you of anything? That's why we do what we do in our, in our neighborhood parishes. It's why we eat together. Um, all these sorts of amazing spiritual things were happening, but as they were devoting themselves to a lot of the everyday things, to sharing life together, to eating together. But they were taking, they were, they were breaking the bread. They were remembering the Lord and what he'd done in his breaking his body for them. And then it also says in the, in the, in the Greek, the prayers. 
So it's probably, there was probably, they were going to some of the Jewish prayers and seeing them through the light of Christ. They, what's the point? The point is, this is their liturgy. This is their, this is their outline for life on which they ha- hang the pegs of their life. We need a liturgy. We need a routine to devote ourselves to, to give us structure and stability. And this is the one that we see in the first window into the early church. This is what they're devoting themselves to day after day. And it's why we do so much of what we do at Sojourn. It's not just coming once a week to hear some preaching and, and eat the bread and, and, and drink the wine and set up signs and then tear down signs and put it in the trailer. It's that the church is a family. And that's why we're geographically focused because we want to be able to live close enough to share our lives together, to be devoted to these things because this is the blueprint God's given us to live life to the fullest as Christ's body. Um, and then to invite our neighbors into that. And that's our mission. Um, so a couple illustrations and then, and then the next thing after devoted church that I see here. Um, and that is that I was reading about coals. You don't read about it, you know. You've, you've, looked, you've had enough fires, you've had enough hot coals. In, in Britain, they, they have coal fires still in some of these, some of these uh, townhomes where it's just, it's just a coal fire. It's instead of wood, it's coal. When you put the coal in there and, and a bunch of coals together stay red hot and those things get just fiery and they keep the whole room warm. And a bunch of Hot coals together stay hot a long, long time and provide a ton of heat. But what's the best way to cool a coal down? It's to separate it. It's to separate it. And so what, one thing that we're seeing here is that this is what Jesus is telling us about. This is what um, the author of Acts, Luke, is telling us about the way that we're made, is that to be filled with the Spirit and um, to be the body of Christ, saved by his blood, and to share that life together, we, we get hot and we stay hot that way. And, I've, and you, you can see, I've never seen it go well for someone who's tried to do the Christian life on their own. You cool. You start by wandering a little bit. That's why as your pastor, I'm so concerned with these things that as a covenant member you've committed to about being devoted to these things that just seem kind of routine and almost mundane. They are, but they have huge implications. To, to get red hot, to stay red hot. And then that kind of seems like a holy huddle, except that um, studies have shown, I'm reading a book right now, about to finish it, called uh, Spiritual Multiplication by Bob McNabb. And he shows that they've done studies, and studies show that the be- one of the best ways, if not the best way, to see people come to Christ is to bring a few non-Christians into, to basically surround them by a Christian community. Bring them into a red-hot Christian community and they see how you love one another and they get loved on and they get spilled on with the Holy Spirit and with the love of Jesus Christ and it's overwhelming in a good way a lot of times. And we see that toward the end of, of what Paul read that they almost get, people get too close to this fellowship and they almost get sucked in and saved by the love of God. And so um, it's the opposite of a holy huddle. It's Staying hot together and encouraging one another as long as it's called today in these regular, daily, weekly, monthly rhythms. And that's the best way to see people one to Christ, to invite them into that. And we ought to be doing that constantly. So we see a devoted church. Um, Secondly, we see a giving church. We see a giving church. Verses 44 and 45 are scary. They're scary. First question that we ask as Americans is we go McCarthy and we go like, is this communism? It's this communism here, um, because they are taking their stuff and just selling it and selling their possessions, and even we see in Acts 5, selling lands if they have them, so that what? Why are they doing that? Just, just because stuff's bad? No, stuff's not bad. That's Gnostic. That's a heresy. Stuff's good because God made it, and he said it's all good. Stuff is good, 
but it's not good when those in your community and your fellowship and in the very body that you've now been engrafted into are hurting and in need. If you have a bunch and they have a little, what we're seeing here is that things are sold so that they are zero needs in this community. Um, and so the question we ask is, is it communism? No, look, it says they sold their possessions. It's their stuff. And they, hey, they aren't being coerced by the state or in this case by the church. They're doing it freely. They're doing it because of this compulsion, because of what Christ has done, and he's now in them, and he's compelling and, and impelling them. So um, what, why, though? I just kind of explained it, but as you look more into the text, I just want to share this. What is the secret to this radical living where they are being so generous and they are giving, giving, giving church in ways that should challenge all of us? Um, where does this come from? Well, it's in the text. If you look at, for, at verse 44, it says, and all who believed were together. And this phrase, were together, it's a bit of a gloss because the Greek is so peculiar. It literally reads, and all who believed were into the same, or were into one. Into the same what? Into one what? That's right, into one body. Into the one, into the one body, Jesus Christ, brought into Christ through faith by his very spirit and life, making them a new and a single organism. That is the key. Um, Recall the implications of Acts 1.1. This book is the record of all that Jesus continued to do and to teach through his body. We are his body, and he is in us and making, making us new, um, a new people. And he is, you know, if that is true, and if, if we feel that, and if we know that, and if we're practicing that, we're not going to let, the hand isn't going to let the, the hurt foot go on hurt. It's going to do whatever it can to provide because they're an organic unity. And when the foot suffers, the hand's not going to be healthy. And so um, I just want, John Stott says, we can say that it's not communism because it's not. We can say that it's not coerced because it's not. We can say that it's not uh, coerced by the church because it's not. It's free. Um, At the same time, we need to recognize the radical generosity of this church and of the fact that I believe that it's prescriptive. Um, And so we ought to let it, he says, challenge us. I don't have time to dig into it, but I just pray, God, as I preach, that you would allow the reality of this word and of what you've done and of what you're doing through your body challenge us in our generosity and in our giving with one another to care as much about, for me to care as much about you and your well-being and for you to care as much about me as I do about myself. Um, Lord, would you wake us up to that? Thirdly, we have a fearful church. We have a fearful church. That sounds like something you don't want to be. It's like, why would, okay, it's a fearful church, but it obviously is something we want to be. This is a red-hot church. What do I mean a fearful church? It's not a craven fear. It's a holy fear. It's not terrified, but it's awe-filled and awesome. So let me try to put it this way. C.S. Lewis talks about, you knew he was going to make it into the sermon. Um, He talks about, he's talking about a word called the numinous and it's hard to describe, but he says, think about it this way. The numinous pinpoints this feeling and this awareness. When someone, you're in a room and someone tells you, hey, through that other room, across, in, in the next room, on the other side of this wall, there's a tiger. He's like, dang, you're kind of scared because don't open that door. He's a wild tiger. He's not on a leash. But if someone says to you, in that next room, there's a spirit, what's the difference? You're scared in both. But it's a different 
fear. It's a, it's, it's a feeling of the numinous. It's a feeling of the other. There's this other reality. And this is the, the feeling that people get when they walk into the midst of these red hot coals of what Christ is doing and his very presence here on earth through his people. There's a sense that this is more than, this is more than uh, programs. This is more than people just making an itinerary and coming together and doing things. This is more than skits and a fog machine, as a brother and I were talking about this morning. Maybe they don't have the words for it, but something's here. There is a power here. There is a presence here, and we know it is the presence of the living God. Here to save, here to sanctify, here to draw to himself, here to lift up his son, Jesus Christ, that people might come to him as the only way of salvation. There's something else going on here. That is the fear that is filling these Christians and that's going out from them and that is seeing people just sucked in and saved. And I think a good litmus test for this is if we, um, if the spirit, if the spirit of God, God himself, his very presence were removed from this people, let's just say from a people, could that body of believers just continue to do what they are doing? I pray that it's the case. And this is kind of scary, but I would have it no other way. I know you would have it no other way. That if the Holy Spirit, if God removed himself from our presence, things would just stop. Stop. And so that he would be, that's why we pray, Lord, do what you're going to do. And we don't want to go before you. We want to go behind you. We want to plead with heaven that all the merits of Christ would draw Jesus Christ down here to fill us and to save. And that we would just, in your power, go forth with you in us, behind you. That we would be that kind of people and no other kind of people. Just push all the chips in. That we would be a fearful church. It's what I desire. And I wish I had longer to spend on this. I don't. I just want to say this briefly and then move on to a favored church, the fourth point, and then one more. I want to say this. Notice, though, notice the order, it's important, of this text that Paul read, this small window into the early church. What happens? They're devoted. God's saving. He's saving. He's saving. But they're devoted to the regular rhythms, the normal, regular rhythms of grace that God has provided to sitting under teaching, to opening the word and meditating on it day and night and being devoted to it, to corporate gathering, to sharing life together here in homes throughout the week, bringing non-Christians into that, that they might, be, that they might encounter the living God and be saved perhaps. Um, communion, acts of service, breaking of the bread, eating in homes together. It's a sin, one of my mentors used to say, and the guy that married, one of the guys that married me and Robin, it's a sin to pretend to be more spiritual than you are. God loves stuff. He loves stuff. Everything that's not sin is sacred. That everything would become worship. This is what Christ died for and came to bring us back into, a new creation. Yes, that awe and wonder would happen, but only as we are devoted to the regular rhythms of grace. And notice that that awe and wonder and the signs happens as they are devoted daily to these things. If you get the opposite, you get a very unhealthy church. But to have this power of God going forth to sanctify and to save through, as the body is devoted to one another and devoted to the Lord and sitting under the word and fellowshipping together, man, that is the right order and that's the way that God meant for it to happen. 
Um, so that's, that's that. Um, penultimately, a favored church, fourth, fourth thing that I see here, um, there, though there are many more. They had favor with the people, this text says. Um, they had favor with the people. So the people probably just means unbelievers that are in Jerusalem at the time. They had favor. That's interesting. Because we know the, the church was, the early church was persecuted, but here this church has favor. And not that they weren't. They were immediately persecuted. In the next chapter, they're thrown in jail. But still, what does that mean? It's used twice by Luke, who also wrote Acts, of the boy Jesus in Luke chapter 2, that he had favor with all that were around him. He grew in favor with God and with man. Um, and why is it used again here of Luke for the church? What is the church? The church is Christ. The church is Christ continuing to do and to teach through his people that he's saving. Um, and so I just want to say this, it was the mark of Christ. It was the mark of the early church. And it ought to be a mark of this church and of the true church. If we're not, let me say it this way. If we're not growing in favor with those around us, hey, there might be awkwardness. There might be weirdness. There might be persecution. There should be all those things probably. But in general, if we're not growing in favor with our neighbors and coworkers, if they're not seeing my life is richer because this person is such a good coworker, because this person is such a good neighbor, because this person cares so much about me and is so involved in my life that they know when there's a crisis and a need and they come in and they meet it. If we're not growing in favor with those around us, we're not living right. We're not living the way that Christ died for us to live. Tim Keller, you know he was gonna appear too. He said this, he said, we're told every day the church grew, it says daily God was adding to them. Why? Because they had favor with all the people. That means not so much that they had evangelistic programs, but that, um, they had, uh, but that what they had, excuse me, were such attractive lives and such an attractive community that they found people becoming converted because they wanted to know what was going on. These people were attractive. They had favor. Are we? Do we? Um, Justin pointed out as we were looking at this text together early part of the week, he's like, how were 3,000 saved? What did that look like? And the fact is that it was the work of God, but through 120 people. They were together in an upper room praying, filled with the Spirit, and then they went out into Jerusalem during the swell of the Feast of, of uh, Pentecost, of weeks. And so um, they, what were they doing? They were speaking of God's salvation, of his mighty works through Christ. What? How? In the heart language of every single person from around the Mediterranean rim, all the way from Iran, all the way over to past Italy. What is that? How does that translate to for us? Is that translating we should all speak in tongues? No. I hope some of us do. I don't yet. I'm praying for it still. It's all right. It's not a, you don't have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. Some people believe that. We don't believe that. All right? We do believe it's a gift. But here's, here's how I want to translate that for us. To be close enough again to those around us that God's put around us that we would be able to speak the gospel into their lives in a way that is their heart language. That's what it's talking about. And that's how 3,000, through the power of the Spirit, got saved. So that we could be that kind of people, I see it happening, and I'm so encouraged. May it continue to happen, Lord. Lastly, a growing church, briefly, a growing church. John Stott again points out the body of Christ in Jerusalem multiplied 26 times that day, from 120 to 3,120, give or take. Um, in verses 39, at the beginning of this text, and at the end, verse 47, verse 39, it says, the Lord called to himself, all that the Lord called to himself were saved. And then in verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. He does it. 
He's the one who saves. And through his body, as we were like red hot coals loving one another, how, how is the world gonna know that Jesus is and that we are uh, filled with the presence of something else that they want? How are they gonna know that? How are they gonna know that he is the true way and the truth of life, the Messiah? He says in John 13 and elsewhere, they'll know that you're Christians by your love. They'll know that you're Christians by your love. When that is happening through the power of the Holy Spirit supernaturally, it's like, if you think about a black hole, um, I know we got a picture of a black hole from like the Hubble Space Telescope recently and it just blows your mind. But a black, with a black hole, it's so massive that there's a thing called an event horizon around it. And the event horizon is just a border. And anywhere inside the event horizon, even light cannot escape. It gets sucked in. That is the, kind of the picture of what we see here in the early church is that they're not going out sharing the four spiritual laws. They are proclaiming the mighty works of God in Christ. They're articulating the gospel, but also there's such hot community. They were so devoted to these things and to one another that when people got too close, they just got sucked in and saved. You see? That's the way that God works. That's how he does it. And I see this happening and it makes me so excited. Now, that's all she wrote in this sermon. Um, I'm done, if you can believe it. Um, a little bit shorter than normal, but we have now the privilege of hearing from two people and then baptizing one of them who got sucked in. Thank you for listening to this podcast. At the end of Taylor's sermon, we heard two testimonies of God's grace, followed by one of them getting baptized. We apologize for cutting off the podcast abruptly, but due to the sensitive nature of some of the contents of the testimonies, we have thought it best to, to, to refrain from posting on our regular podcast. For more information, feel free to reach out to us at info at org. Thanks again, and peace be with you.